European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 43, Issue 37. Focus Issue, Thrombosis and Antithrombotic Treatment, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea, read to you by Morgan Bryan. Antithrombotic Treatment, How to Navigate Between the Scylla of Thrombosis and the Charybdis of Bleeding, this focus issue on thrombosis and antithrombotic treatment contains a debate entitled Great Debate – Triple Antithrombotic Therapy in Patients with Atrial Fibrillation Undergoing Coronary Stenting Should Be Limited to One Week. In this debate, Raphael de Catarina from the Pisa University Hospital in Italy provides an introduction. Subsequently, Renato Lopez from Duke University Medical Center in Durham, North Carolina, USA and colleagues, and Mattia Gali from the Catholic University of the Sacred Heart in Rome, Italy and colleagues, supply pros and contras respectively on the statement written in the title. All guideline and consensus documents have emphasized the need for tailoring duration of triple therapy to the individual patient. But the issue of where to put that bar for a standard duration, the default duration, is of relevance, as most cardiologists will take this as the reference for most of their patients. Here, therefore, two groups of authors argue one way or the other, defending or opposing the default one-week duration of triple antithrombotic therapy after stenting for an acute coronary syndrome, or ACS, with atrial fibrillation. The reader should thus see the pros and contras of the two different positions, as well as the intermediate grey between them, in the difficult practice of this precision medicine. Understanding the background of both opinions will allow a proper handling of the quite diverse situations encountered in such a difficult navigation between the scylla of thrombosis and the charybdis of bleeding. It is well recognised that atrial fibrillation, or AF, is an important risk factor for stroke. There is currently no consensus, however, on whether atrial fibrillation patients at low risk of stroke, one non-sex-related CHADS2 VASC point, should be treated with an oral anticoagulant. In a clinical research article entitled Oral Anticoagulants in Patients with Atrial Fibrillation at Low Stroke Risk, a multicenter observational study, Joris Coleman and colleagues from the Utrecht University in the Netherlands conducted a multi-country cohort study in Sweden, Denmark, Norway and Scotland. In total, 59,076 patients diagnosed with AF at low stroke risk were included. The authors assessed the rates of stroke or major bleeding during treatment with a non-vitamin K antagonist oral anticoagulant, or NOAC, a vitamin K antagonist, or VKA, or no treatment, using inverse probability of treatment weighted Cox regression. In untreated patients, the rate for ischemic stroke was 0.70 per 100 person years, and the rate for a bleed was also 0.70 per 100 person years. Comparing NOAC with no treatment, the stroke rate was significantly lower. Acid ratio, or HR, 0.72, and the rate for intracranial hemorrhage, or ICH, was not increased, HR, 0.84. Comparing VKA with no treatment, the rate for stroke tended to be lower, HR, 
and the rate for ICH tended to be higher during VKA treatment, HR 1.37. Comparing NOAC with VKA treatment, the rate for stroke was similar, HR 0.92, but the rate for ICH was significantly lower during NOAC treatment, HR 0.63. Komen and colleagues conclude that these observational data suggest that NOAC treatment may be associated with a positive net clinical benefit compared with no treatment or VKA treatment in patients with AF at low stroke risk, a question that can be tested through a randomized control trial. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by William McIntyre from McMaster's University in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, and Dominic Lintz from the Maastricht University Medical Centre and Cardiovascular Research Institute, Maastricht, in the Netherlands. The editorialists suggest that there is a role for randomised clinical trials to address patients with AF who are at a perceived low risk of stroke. Whereas these trials will allow us to rigorously estimate treatment effects, they are not the only missing piece of the puzzle. Continued epidemiological work is needed to help us understand the baseline stroke risks of the different types of patients with AF who currently do not qualify for OAC based on their CHADS2 VASC score. Patient-centered studies and economic analyses will also help us create a quantitative concept of what we currently consider to be a qualitatively low risk in the large population of AF patients. The combination of aspirin and rivaroxaban may offer a clinical benefit versus aspirin alone in patients with atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. In a clinical research article entitled Rivaroxaban and Aspirin versus Aspirin Alone in Asian compared with non-Asian patients with chronic coronary artery disease or peripheral arterial disease, the COMPASS trial. Masatsugu Hori and colleagues from the Osaka International Cancer Institute in Japan point out that it is unknown whether Asian and non-Asian patients with atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease derive similar benefits from long-term antithrombotic therapy. In patients with chronic coronary artery disease, or CAD, and or peripheral artery disease, or PAD, enrolled in the Cardiovascular Outcomes for People Using Anticoagulation Strategies trial. The effects of rivaroxaban 2.5 mg twice daily plus aspirin 100 mg once daily were compared with those of aspirin 100 mg once daily in Asian versus non-Asian patients. Race was self-identified. Asians, N equaling 4,269 versus non-Asians, N equaling 23,126, had similar rates of major adverse cardiovascular events, or MACEs, 4.85% versus 4.83%, P equaling 0.30, and modified International Society of Thrombosis and Hemostasis, or ISTH, major bleeding, 2.72% versus 2.58%, P equaling 0.22, but higher rates of ICH, 0.63% versus 0.29%, P equaling 0.01, and minor bleeding, 13.61% versus 6.49%, P being less than 0.001. In Asians versus non-Asians, the combination of rivaroxaban and aspirin, compared with aspirin alone, 
produced significant and similar reductions in maces, Asians HR 0.64, non-Asians HR 0.78, and significant and similar increases in modified ISTH major bleeding, Asians HR 2.24, non-Asians HR 1.0, and the increase of ICH was higher in Asians, Asians HR 3.50, non-Asians HR 0.81, P for interaction equaling 0.04. The authors conclude that Asian compared with non-Asian patients with chronic CAD and or PAD have higher rates of ICH and minor bleeding. The combination of rivaroxaban and aspirin versus aspirin alone produces similar effects for MACE and modified ISTH major bleeding, whereas they are associated with higher rates of ICH in Asian patients. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Shinya Goto and Shinichi Goto from the Tokai University School of Medicine in Izehara, Japan. The authors conclude that Hori et al. provided important data regarding overall homogeneity with little heterogeneity between Asian and non-Asian from the large credible cohort of the COMPASS trial. Further investigations such as CV and bleeding events in Asians living in Asian countries versus Asians living in non-Asian countries with a huge international database is expected. price to pay for antithrombotic treatment is an increase of the bleeding risk. Galactin-3, a beta-galactoside binding lectin, is abnormally increased in cardiovascular disease. The direct effects of galactin-3 on platelet activation remain unclear. In a translational research article entitled, Galactin-3 enhances platelet aggregation and thrombosis via dectin-1 activation, a translational study. Yufei Shen and colleagues from the Shanghai University of Traditional Chinese Medicine in China explore the direct effects of galactin-3 on platelet activation and thrombosis. A strong positive correlation between plasma galactin-3 concentration and platelet aggregation or whole body thrombus formation was observed in patients with coronary artery disease or CAD. Multiple platelet function studies demonstrated that galactin-3 directly potentiated platelet activation and in vivo thrombosis. Mechanistic studies using the dectin-1 inhibitor laminarin and dectin-1 knockout mice revealed that galactin-3 bound to and activated dectin-1, a receptor not previously reported in platelets, to phosphorylate spleen tyrosine kinase and thus increased calcium ion influx protein kinase C activation and reactive oxygen species production to regulate platelet hyperreactivity. TD139 concentration, a galactin-3 inhibitor in a phase 2 clinical trial, dependently suppressed galactin-3 potentiated platelet activation and inhibited occlusive thrombosis without exacerbating hemorrhage in APOE knockout mice, which spontaneously developed increased plasma galactin-3 levels. TD139 also suppressed microvascular thrombosis to protect the heart from myocardial ischemia reperfusion injury in APOE knockout mice. Genital conclude that galactin-3 is a novel positive regulator of platelet hyperreactivity and thrombus formation in CAD. As TD139 has potent antithrombotic effects without bleeding risk, galactin-3 inhibitors 
may have therapeutic advantages as potential antiplatelet drugs for patients with high plasma galactin-3 levels. This manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Kai Jacobs and Ursula Rauch from the campus Benjamin Franklin Charité Universitätsmedizin Berlin in Germany. Jacobs and Rauch conclude that further in-depth research is needed to explore the molecular mechanisms that underlie galactin-3 involvement in cardiovascular disease progression. Despite all the unpredictability associated with drug development, it is only rational to expect that, upon availability of more advanced galactin-3 inhibitors, clinical researchers will soon start to study whether galactin-3 inhibition is effective to improve the clinical prognosis in patients after ACS. Big data are central to new developments in global clinical science aiming to improve the lives of patients. Technological advances have led to the routine use of structured electronic healthcare records with the potential to address key gaps in clinical evidence. In a special article entitled Code EHR Best Practice Framework for the Use of Structured Electronic Healthcare Records in Clinical Research. Ipak Kotecha and colleagues from the University of Birmingham in the United Kingdom point out that the COVID-19 pandemic has demonstrated the potential of big data and related analytics, but also important pitfalls. Verification, validation and data privacy, as well as the social mandate to undertake research, are key challenges. The European Society of Cardiology and the Big Data at Heart Consortium have brought together a range of international stakeholders, including patient representatives, clinicians, scientists, regulators, journal editors, and industry. This special article proposes the Code EHR Minimum Standards Framework to improve the design of studies, enhance transparency, and develop a roadmap towards more robust and effective utilization of healthcare data for research purposes. Finally, the issue concludes with a viewpoint. Challenges of diversity and inclusion and the need for change by Estefania Oliveras and colleagues from Temple University Hospital in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, USA. The authors highlight that there is a scant representation of members from underrepresented minorities along the journey from medical school to cardiology. The consequence may indeed be poor health outcomes in at-risk communities. They conclude that increasing diversity within the field of medicine is a path towards excellence. Improved patient care, reduced healthcare disparities, and the elimination of conscious and unconscious biases are laudable goals. The final questions for personal and professional reflection are the following. Is this right? Is this just? Is diversity a priority? The answers will determine our future. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its listeners.